1: When you found the one, you'll get it delivered right to your door. Go to BlueNile.com and use promo code LISTEN to get $50 off your purchase of $500 or more. That's code LISTEN at BlueNile.com for $50 off your purchase. BlueNile.com, code LISTEN.
2: Just a heads up before we begin. This episode contains references to sexual violence, abuse, and murder. Listen with care. Previously, on Very Scary People, The Ken and Barbie Killers. Paul Bernardo and Carla Homolka met in the fall of 1987. It was love at first sight. Their young love blossomed, and by Christmas Eve 1989, they were engaged. After their engagement, Paul moved in with the Homolka family, and during a family Christmas party, tragedy struck. Carla's youngest sister, Tammy, had too much to drink, and didn't wake up. By the time first responders arrived at the scene, Tammy was dead. It was ruled accidental alcohol poisoning. In the wake of Tammy's untimely passing, while the Hamulkas grieved, Carla and Paul insisted on going forward with their wedding planning. And despite the tension between the couple and Carla's family, the show went on. Carla and Paul got what they wanted, Their dream wedding. But at the celebration, something was rumbling beneath the picture-perfect surface. It's the Thursday before Easter weekend in 1992. It's a rainy afternoon, and class has just been dismissed at Holy Cross Secondary School in the Toronto suburb of St. Catharines. High school students in their classic green plaid Catholic school uniforms are pouring out of the halls. And one of those students is 15-year-old Kristen French.
3: Kristen grew up in St. Catharines, and she, by all accounts, was a very popular straight-A student involved in lots of extracurriculars, swimming, rowing. Her friends loved her. Gorgeous girl, long, dark hair. She had such a full life.
4: Confident. Loving, from a loving home, who loved her brother and her dog and her parents and didn't live more than a few blocks away from her school.
2: Kristen's parents are expecting her to let the dog out after school. But that gloomy spring afternoon, Kristen's mom couldn't get a hold of her.
3: The mom had called home from work to talk to her. She wasn't home, and that was around 4 o'clock.
2: Kristen isn't the type to not call her mom or dad when her plans change. And nine times out of ten, she heads straight home to get her chores and homework done.
1: Kristen's parents very quickly grew concerned because she was just taking a short walk from school to home as she normally did. And when she didn't return, they knew something was terribly wrong.
2: Little did they know, earlier that day would be the last time she is seen. And by six o'clock...
3: The police had been called and they were searching for Kristen. Fifteen-year-old
4: Kristen French was apparently abducted in broad daylight from a church parking lot on Thursday, less than a kilometer from home.
2: Her disappearance was mind-boggling.
3: St. Catharines was not a place where people were grabbed off the street. For someone to be grabbed off the street in the middle of the day, a young person walking home from school, it just doesn't happen.
2: But Kristen's abductors leave a trace.
3: Her shoe was found, suggesting she struggled with her abductor before being pulled into a car.
2: And their disturbing crime doesn't go unnoticed. There are eyewitnesses. From ID, this is Very Scary People, the Ken and Barbie killers. I'm your host, Donnie Wahlberg. You might remember me from our first season, The Amityville Murders. And now, in this season, we're traveling to Canada, a place known for its cold beer and warm welcomes, to trace the twisted path of Paul Bernardo and Carla Homolka, a couple from Toronto that appeared loving and wholesome. The truth is, they were anything but. We'll explore how the boy and the girl next door became the killers known as Ken and Barbie. This is Episode 3, Kristen French. The day after Kristen was reported missing, a huge search party formed.
3: As many as 2,000 people gathered to help search the north end of St. Catharines for clues to Kristen's whereabouts.
2: Kathy Kenzorov remembers it well from her days reporting on the case on Talk Radio AM 640.
3: There were massive searches arranged for Kristen French that started on the Friday and lasted through the entire weekend.
2: It was an all-hands-on-deck kind of emergency.
3: It was so widespread, and people from, you know, Toronto and Mississauga drove to St. Catharines to be part of it.
2: Police officers from across the region pooled their resources and organized their own group, too. They dubbed themselves the Green Ribbon Task Force, because search party members were wearing green ribbons as a symbol of their hope of finding Kristen. They posted flyers all around the city. The flyer had a black and white picture of Kristen on the top left corner. And on the right, a list of her basic identifying information. Weight, 110. Height, 55. Age, 15. Brown hair, brown eyes. The day she was taken, she was wearing her school uniform. Green tights, a green v-neck sweater, a white shirt, and a black leather jacket. And towards the bottom of the flyer, there was a message if anyone had any information regarding her disappearance, to contact the Niagara Regional Police. Mike McCready was one of the 2,000 volunteers who searched for Kristen. They looked high and low, crossing fields, parks, wooded areas, and near the shores of neighboring bodies of water.
5: It was a community event. People from all walks of life, poor and rich, all different ethnicities pulled together and came together to to search for her.
2: They were all moved by Kristen's disappearance. It hit so close to home. Kathy remembers how scared everyone felt.
3: It could have been anyone. It could have been you. It could have been your sister, your friend, your mother. Anyone could have been pushed into a car. And I think that's what got people so upset and so concerned and wanting to find Kristen
2: at this point in the investigation officers knew Kristen was last seen in the parking lot of Grace Lutheran Church from the outside it looked like a traditional place of worship it was a red brick building with red trim a large gold cross covered the front entrance people saw what happened and as the search effort intensified substantial information rose to the top
3: A witness came forward to say she had been driving by the church parking lot, looked over her shoulder, and saw what she thought were kids fooling around. And they were kind of pushing back and forth, and and someone got pushed into the car. But she thought about it for a second, like, oh, that's odd. Then she said, oh, it's probably just teenagers goofing around, and she kept going.
2: But they weren't just fooling around. Kristen was fighting for her life.
6: They described two male offenders that she'd walked up to the car... One had gotten out and then was shoving her into the back of the car. She was resisting, fighting, and the car took off at a high rate of speed, just peeling out of the parking lot onto the street and down and uh, almost hit another car and, uh, you know, made this scene that caught the attention of the folks in the area just going about their normal business.
2: Since multiple people witnessed Kristen get abducted, a critical clue in the investigation came to light, the make and model of the car Kristen was pulled into.
4: Based on what police call a solid witness account,
2: they're also looking for a car similar to this, a 1982 or newer Camaro or Firebird, off-white or cream in color. While they had the make and model, the color of the car was still in question. Some witnesses described it as gold. The exact color may have been up for debate, but Mike McCready remembers that once that tip was made public, the Camaro was instantly infamous. Eyes were peeled.
5: Everybody was sort of on the lookout for that vehicle.
3: So there were billboards and there were flyers and posters all saying, have you seen this car?
2: The billboard Kathy remembers displayed a giant drawing of a Camaro with bold text to the right, wanted in the abduction of Kristen French the Green Ribbon Task Force began putting a huge effort into following the Camaro lead. Here's Jim Van Allen with details of their approach.
0: Green Ribbon Task Force made a decision that they would try and identify all owners of gold Camaros in Ontario, and there were many. And when one became known in outlying areas, we would be assigned to go and uh, contact the person, do a background investigation, and report the results to the Green Ribbon Task Force.
2: Kathy said all of eastern Toronto knew about this car.
3: I felt sorry for anyone that had a green-colored Camaro because that was the focus of the entire investigation.
2: An enormous effort was devoted to finding the alleged Camaro that got away with Kristen French in tow. They even established a tip line called the Project Green Ribbon Personal Response the volunteers fielded calls from people who may have spotted it. But despite massive mobilization to track down the vehicle, the once promising tip was leading nowhere. Mike said this is when the morale of the search party began to fade and the hope of finding Kristen alive was dwindling.
5: We were pretty much concerned that we were looking for a dead body. Many of us didn't believe that that she would still be alive.
2: So they divided the search into branches.
5: We were looking through things where a body would be, not where a live person would be. Other people were doing parts of the search where possibly they may have found somebody who was still alive.
2: While the possibility of finding Kristen dead was devastating, the Green Ribbon Task Force and volunteers still tirelessly pushed forward to give the French family desperately needed closure, whatever the outcome.
5: I remember we did sort of a systematic line search, and I was near the Bunting Road area in St. Catharines, and we all walked sort of a line and spread out to make sure that we covered all the areas. And I remember at one point distinctively going through a dumpster looking. And that was hard because it was like, it was spooky. You didn't want to find something in there. But at the same time, you wanted to give the family and the community resolution as well.
2: As the weekend progressed, leads and searches continued to go nowhere. But at this point in the investigation, the French family was still holding out hope.
3: The agony of the past few days was clearly evident on the faces of Kristen French's family. They say they feel Kristen is still alive.
2: But there was no denying. The case was slipping away. The French's positive outlook spiraled into exasperation. Kristen French's parents remain in seclusion, surrounded by family and
4: friends, desperate for any news of their daughter.
2: With the chances of finding Kristen alive growing slimmer, her family was growing even more eager for answers. So they turned to the media. That Easter Sunday following her abduction, her father, Doug, spoke at a press conference with her mom, Donna, at his side.
0: Kristen, if you can hear here, read this... We want to know that we are thinking of you and that everything can be done,
3: is being done.
2: Kathy remembers watching as Doug sat at a pop-up table scattered with multiple news stations' microphones. He was wearing a white shirt and sweater vest. He was holding back tears behind his wide frame glasses, pleading for his daughter's safe return. You could see their friends standing behind them, rubbing their shoulders and providing
3: support. Kristen's father went on TV and made an appeal for his daughter, which was absolutely heartbreaking. So often you hear about, or you see appeals on TV when someone is missing. And sadly, you know that it's gonna fall on deaf ears, that, you know, it's often the person saying, if you're out there, we're here for you, we're gonna find you. Unfortunately, most of the time that person is already passed.
2: If Canada didn't already know about Kristen French after the press conference, they certainly did. And the national outcry put even more pressure on finding her. Dead or alive.
0: A lot can happen in the next three years. Like a chatbot, maybe your new best friend.
2: After the initial days of Kristen's disappearance. But the Green Ribbon Task Force forged ahead. When finally, 15 days after she was last seen in the Grace Lutherans Church parking lot, Kristen's body was discovered. FBI agent Craig McCrary called, she was found in a ditch on the side of the road in North Burlington, roughly 35 miles from where she was last seen in her hometown.
6: Her body had been rolled out in one of these informal kind of areas off a road where people just kind of put trash and
2: things. While finding Kristen alive was what everyone had been holding out hope for, recovering her body brought a sense of conclusion for the community who had so actively invested in searching for her. Here's Mike again, one of the volunteers who was dedicated to finding Kristen from the start.
5: It was through the media, and it was a while after we did the search, It was shocking. Like, you were expecting it, but to hear it made it real. Like, just thinking that it was going to happen was a thought, but there was always the possibility that she will come home alive. And then it was a finality, but the finality that you never wanted to come true.
2: The summer after Kristen's body was found, CHCH-TV in Ontario had a nearly 90-minute television special called The Abduction of Kristen French. It not only told the story of the kidnapping and ensuing search, but also captured her family's grief. In the first half of the special, viewers saw her mother, Donna, in Kristen's room, still full of her belongings.
1: Such an intense feeling of loss, I just don't have the heart to put anything away yet. Right now, it would be like packing away my memories. And I just can't do that.
2: Unable to part with them, She tearfully shows the camera crew around Kristen's room, just as she left it. Her makeup on the counter, photo albums and yearbooks, closet full of clothes she planned to wear to future family celebrations. The camera pans out on Donna. She's seated on Kristen's twin bed, topped with white linens and stuffed animals. She's flipping through photo albums. Leaving Kristen's room untouched brought her comfort, but it's clear to those who watched that there was no cell for grief so palpable.
3: What really
1: gets tough is if you think of the things that will never come.
2: She thinks of Kristen never falling in love, never being a mother. In the video, Donna choked up.
1: The fact that she will never marry, won't be able to plan a wedding. That's the hardest part, is just thinking ahead to things that she won't be able to do.
2: While the French family were still trying to pick up the pieces, another new anxiety dawned on the town of St. Catharines. The people who took her and presumably killed her were still out there.
5: The news of them finding the body now, it shifted to, okay, that part is over. Now it's like, what can we do to find the people who did this to her? They're still out there. They can do it again. And that was the fear.
2: And after Kristen was discovered, a startling connection was made. Her case was eerily similar to Leslie Mahaffey's, the young girl whose body was discovered nearly a year earlier in Lake Gibson, the day Paul and Carla got married. Wade Hemsworth reported on Leslie's disappearance and death
4: for the Hamilton Spectator. Their bodies were found in the communities of the other. So, Leslie, who had disappeared in Burlington, her remains were discovered in St. Catharines. Kristen who had lived in St. Catharines, Ontario. Her remains were discovered in Burlington, and that's a good 45 minutes away or more.
2: Paul Hunter says when Leslie was found, people were shocked.
0: When they found Leslie's body parts encased in cement in a lake, it became something else. It's like, you've got to be kidding. Like, who does this? This is not... Canada, this is not us. In cement blocks, for God's sake, the news just kept getting worse. And then, you know, a year later, Kristen French goes missing. Two weeks after that, they find her body shaved, hair gone. I remember going to work the day after Kristen French's body was discovered, and I stopped at a coffee shop to get a coffee and a newspaper, and on the front page was a photo of police with Kristen French's body in the dump. And the photo was investigators kind of holding up her hand like this. That's all you could see was this limp hand. And to me, that's when it hit me. This is all, like, there is something wrong
2: here. Fear and frustration grew across Canada. Between Leslie and Kristen's murders and the Scarborough rapists still at large, it was an especially terrifying time to call Toronto home. It felt like everything was out of control
0: because nothing was happening about any of it. And nobody knew if it would ever be resolved at that point. It was just like, how many more people are going to die or be raped or be chopped into
2: bits and thrown in a lake? The whole eastern region of the city felt like they just couldn't catch a break. These weren't isolated events anymore.
6: So the question is, were these cases related?
2: Leslie and Kristen were from different cities, but the similarities in their cases just couldn't be ignored. One
4: part that was very hard to take, that we all wondered about, was the proximity of Kristen French's body to Leslie Mahaffey's grave site. They're they're almost within sight of, of, of one another. And so then it became very hard to shake the idea that these things must be related.
2: Again, the community and the task force were back to work.
5: It sort of became a serial event where possibly it could be your child. So everybody identified with Christian French as being their own child.
2: Kathy recalls the lengths police went to to connect the dots.
3: They exhumed Leslie's body and found marks on her back that were similar to the marks that were on Kristen's back.
2: In this unnerving evidence suggested an even more horrifying and viable prospect.
3: Police are not discounting the possibility a serial killer may be at work in the area. I think police understood that right away, that they were dealing with a serial killer and that these cases were definitely connected.
2: On the next episode of Very Scary People, the Ken and Barbie Killers. Back in neighboring Scarborough, the investigation into the serial rapist is still coming up cold. But in a random turn of events, it's in St. Catharines, the same town where Kristen French is found dead, where there's a break in the Scarborough case.
6: Carla was beaten so badly and went to the
2: hospital. And the doctor there said it was the worst case of wife abuse he'd ever seen. Her husband, Paul, has beaten her with a flashlight. And while the police are carrying out routine questioning in the hospital, they have an epiphany. This is the same Paul Bernardo who was recognized in the composite sketch of the Scarborough rapist.
6: He'd already been on the radar screen as a potential suspect, but now he was sort of fitting the profile.
2: And his wife has information about her husband that piques their interest. Very Scary People, The Ken and Barbie Killers, as hosted by me. Donnie Wahlberg. It's a production of ID in collaboration with Neon Hum Media and is based on an original series created by CNN executive producer Nancy Duffy. At CNN, our senior producer is Sabina Ryman. Our producer is Allison O'Brien and our associate producer is Michael Reyes. From ID, our executive producer is Jessica Lowther. From Neon Hum Media, Our executive producer is Jonathan Hirsch. Cooper Mall is our producer. And our associate producer is Zoe Culkin. Our editor is Stephanie Serrano. Samantha Allison is our production manager. Our fact checker is Catherine Newham. Josh Hahn is our mix engineer. Theme and original music composed by Asha Ivanovich.